1: What is going on everybody and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. It is Wednesday, October 13th. Matt is here with me and we have got a fun-filled episode for you guys. We are going to recap what ended up being an amazing Monday Night Football game between the Baltimore Ravens, and the Indianapolis Colts. We will give our top 12 rankings at each position. We will then preview the Thursday Night Football game, which looks to be a good one between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles. And last but not least, we will get back into Pop Culture Corner. We will talk a little bit about Marvel's What If and the last installment of Daniel Craig's James Bond in No Time to Die. Matt, how are you doing on this wonderful Wednesday?
2: I mean, I'm doing good, but... Just that description made me tired.
1: Yeah, it's a a lot of work. So we are going to dive right into it. The Monday Night Football game, I mean, holy crap. Uh, The Ravens Colts played to a much better game than I expected them to. You know, we talked a little bit about it before we got out of here on Monday. We did not think this was going to be necessarily a good game. And every time we say that, we are usually proved wrong. But before I do that, I need to mention we are proud to be a part of the Pigskin Podcast Network. And they have a Ravens podcast that would tell you how excited they were about what Lamar Jackson was able to do. You can find them at PigskinPodNet on Twitter, or you can search the hashtag TPPN, which we are, again, proud to be a part of. So, Lamar Jackson leads the Colts back in overtime, 31-25 win for them. The Colts, though, looked good early. It was a big day for Wentz and a big day for Jonathan Taylor. Is this offense finally getting it together?
2: Yeah, I'd say that uh, that Monday podcast, there were two things we were wrong about right there at the end, that this game would be boring and that uh, John Gruden would be okay. Because Monday night, all that kind of came crashing down. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think I told you I was down 50 points in my work league and all I had was Marquise Brown. So I was – I forgot I had Jonathan Taylor until the first play of the game when he catches a 76-yard touchdown. And my work friend, Matt, sends me a text. He's like, hey, good start for you. And I was like, oh, damn, I have Jonathan Taylor. But it was nice to see the Colts, you know, Wentz went for over 400 yards. They actually looked really good until, uh, I guess, until it mattered
1: yeah and I mean Frank Reich you know I'll give him props just like I did Kevin Stefanski on Monday's episode he kind of came out and said that it was on him he he did not necessarily call the best play calls down the down the stretch there in the fourth quarter and in the overtime kind of let Baltimore get back in it and win it um and it's good thing it's good in my opinion for coaches to recognize that now they need to change that moving forward but it is good to recognize that I mean man was it great to see Jonathan Taylor get going I mean I was with you um it ended up making sure I won a game because I did go against Lamar and Mark Andrews in one league, but I also had Marquise Hollywood Brown and Jonathan Taylor and only a, I think it was like a 20 point lead. So once Lamar started going off, but I think it was really that touchdown at the end by Hollywood Brown that secured it for me. I only won by like 10 points. So it was not a fun night for me, but wow. I mean, Lamar brought back, I'm sure a lot of teams he cost me, a win. I was up fifty something points on the Lam- on on the guy, and he Lamar went off. I mean, it was a great game for him. He continues to just impress. Um, definitely looks like he's rebounded from last year because that is uh, definitely not the Lamar we were seeing a lot of times last year. And, and same thing with Carson Wentz. You know, we were worried about him, especially earlier in this season with the angles. He seems to be doing better, and I'm I'm loving Jonathan Taylor getting all the work that he got. Not just in the rushing game, but them actually using him in the passing game. They split him out wide early in that game as well. It was it was really great to see. But as I mentioned, the Ravens have the huge comeback, and it was led by Lamar, the passer. You know, I've been talking about, I thought this is what we were gonna see this year in the way that they drafted Bateman and Wallace and the way they were kind of shifting that offense. Has that kind of been cemented for you, or do you still think they're trying to build around the run game?
2: I mean it certainly seems like they are really trying to commit to throwing the ball more but also I have to be honest if those were my set of uh, running backs I might be looking to throw the ball more too. They have um you know they have a really good group uh that they're developing in the passing game. They they've developed chemistry with Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews. I think you and I are both excited about Rashad Bateman coming back. Um, I don't know if that would be their top option, but it's it's got to be comforting to Ravens fans, maybe not to you as a Browns fan, but to Ravens fans to see that if Lamar needs to go out there and just be a passer, he can really do it because he did it all basically on his arm.
1: Yeah, well, I will say I did still pick them to win the division. So I, I did think the Ravens were still going to be good this year. Um, I, I thought they were going to be better than the Browns. I think I had the Browns with five losses. In fact, they're almost, well, I didn't mean to cuss right there, but they're already almost there. I, I think I may have had them with six. I don't remember, but I, I didn't have them running away with the AFC North. As I've said in the past, even though I was down on Lamar last year, it's not that I don't like him as a player. I, I wanted to see more out of him, and we are definitely seeing that this year. And I, I said at the beginning of the year I was back in on Lamar. I think he's in for a really good season, and he, he is the king of the north. They've won the north the past couple of years. They've been the best team. You're going to have to dethrone them. I, you know, I'm very curious to see what happens with Bateman coming back because I saw a lot of people talking about – this might be bad for Hollywood Brown. I've been on the opposite the whole time. I, I thought this would be great for Hollywood Brown because Bateman just gives that defense another area in this short game to have to cover besides Mark Andrews, which could open up things deep for Hollywood. So, And he's having a much better year as well. Making my, my call of him being the fantasy MVP looking really good right now because he has been amazing.
2: Well, and we've, we talked about earlier that you know, we've seen the elite tight ends kind of even be up and down. But Andrews has been pretty rock solid. And the more that they're gonna consistently pass, the better he looks. It was interesting to me to even see Josh Oliver out there getting involved. A guy who I you know had been kind of a sleeper with Jacksonville and moved to Baltimore in the off season. It's like, oh, that's a bummer, but it's nice to see him out there getting involved.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, so, the John Gruden news, we talked a little bit about this on Monday. We obviously haven't been back since what happened. I, at the time, had not really paid much attention to what it all had gone on. It was a very busy weekend for me last weekend, so I missed whatever the emails were and everything. Then as we were getting ready to sit down and talk about or watch the Monday Night Football game, you posted a link um, with more stuff that came out. Obviously, you know... I really don't know what there is to say. I'm no. not here for the cancel culture stuff. I think he got the consequences of his actions. I think what happened was right. I honestly don't think he should have been given the option to resign. I think he should have been fired. Um, I, I get why he was given the option to resign. Did you, know, you see comments
2: from Mark Davis today?
1: I did not. I've not seen anything. I have I literally just pulled up Twitter for the first time in like the past – Eight, I'm be hours curious and-
2: to see. I feel like more going to come out here because he got asked about that situation and he said, go to the NFL. They have all your answers as if they've un you know, because this wasn't specifically an investigation of Gruden. His yes, emails right. when he was not working for the NFL off of what appeared to be a private account were lodged squarely in the account of the uh, GM for Washington. So he got caught yeah. up in that Washington thing. You have to figure there's more coming out there, but I'm with you. It This was once the full breadth of that report came out in the New York Times, the second report, there was, there was no conceivable way he's staying.
1: Yeah. And, and I will say, and um, I will give, um, Ray Garvin, a shout-out about this. Uh, you can follow him at RayGQ on Twitter. He does a morning show every day called Wake Up with Jordan Richards at J Rich. Uh, I would definitely look at it. I tweeted it out the other day. Look up the podcast and see. He he did like a four-minute discussion. Not, not really a discussion. He just kind of – he went on a little talk about it for four minutes. It was very eloquently done. Um, and as someone I respect, it was very, I think, important to hear. Uh, I mean, I'll just be honest. He is an African-American male. I am a white male. And a lot of that stuff that's been said, we know has, has been a big deal throughout the past year. It's been a big deal for a lot longer, but it's kind of really been heightened in the past year. A lot more people seem to be allies compared to enemies, if I can say that. Um, and so I really appreciate what he had to say. I do think if anybody has time, you should definitely listen to it. It's like four, three to four or five minutes. And it's really worth uh, your time. I, I promise you on that. Uh, outside of that being said, though, I mean, I think we can all agree that Gruden, you know, the consequences of his actions were, you know, he, he also got removed from the ring of honor from Tampa Bay. Uh, he deserved to be let go of his job. And and what I was going to say about Twitter, is you brought that up, I've seen a lot of people now talking about there's, I guess, a lot more that's about to go down uh, with whatever these emails are that are about to be released. So I guess we'll just get prepared for that. I mean, I will say it, it is something that I hate to see, um, not in the people getting, getting held accountable, but that this is actually going on in a sport that we all love because I'd rather just be talking about football right now. I did not want to be talking about this uh, because it's just not fun for anybody, but it does need to get brought to light. We do need to find out who who really are the issues here and get them removed from the game. I saw people talking about we may see a lot more head coaches in trouble. Well, if they were saying racist, bigoted, sexist, you know, homophobic things, and they did to get fired too, or I guess allowed to resign is is what you know, Gruden was allowed. So they just we, need to be gone. Uh, yes, we need to get them out of the game and move forward. Especially, you know,
2: yeah, I thought it was a particularly striking look, considering that the Raiders were the team this this off that what that has the first kind of openly yeah, gay player, and to read some of those comments he made in denigrating others, but also in talking about the Michael Sam pick had to have, I I mean, you've got to feel for the Raiders who started 3-0 and looked really good and have struggled the past two weeks and now have to put this season back together. How do some of those players feel? Derek Carr, whether you like him or not, is a man of convictions and faith. I wonder how he felt seeing that had had such a tight relationship with the coach. And then where, you know, where they go from here, um, you know, Dennis had posted in our chat all the the assistant coaches, and you see a lot of guys who have had uh, some experience but no, like, strong personalities, which would sort of – Makes sense. I think, unfortunately, for Raiders fans who might have been optimistic, you know, I thought they could be, you know, above 500 in the playoff mix. You guys thought they'd end up a little bit lower. I f- think with all this that's going on, it's hard to see them being much more than a 6-7 win team right now, despite starting 3-0.
1: Yeah, I I will say that's who I feel the worst for. I mean, outside of obviously the people that he disparaged, uh, but the Raiders team, because they have to now deal with this all season long, more than likely. And I mean, you not just talked about the, you know, the relationship that we have perceived Derek Carr to have with John Gruden, but Carr has recently, the past couple years, become like a Gruden guy. So what does this even mean for his future? Does he even have a future with the Raiders now that Gruden's gone? Like, there's a lot up in the air. So I do feel for the Raiders players because now you know they're going to get, especially this week, probably hundreds if not thousands of questions about this. And all they want to do is focus on a game because they've lost the past two weeks. They're trying to get back into the win column and get going toward the playoffs. And it's just another, you know, just kind of kicking the nuts for them. So I do feel for them. You know, Carl Nassif, I'm sure, is going to get asked a million questions questions because as you mentioned he is the first op- or he's not the first Michael Sam was the first openly you know gay player but he's in the NFL now in play and he is starting for the Oakland Raiders or God, I keep saying Oakland the Las Vegas Raiders and then after seeing all that stuff come out he's going to get asked so it's going to be uh it's, it's probably going to be hell for them if, if we're being honest so that that does suck for the Raiders players and then I do feel for them having to to go through all of this
2: tougher press conference week were they to have it the Raiders or Spencer Rattler?
1: Oh, the Raiders. No doubt about it. Spencer Rattler's had all his stuff canceled anyway. So he, he's kind of. That's what I said. Where are they, I'm sure they canceled him. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Because... I think Lincoln Riley came out today and did. So canceled all yeah. the media availability. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no real easy transition into um, what we want to talk about next. But uh, if you do want to. Get help from a Hall of Famer, Matt. Where is somewhere that um, our listeners can go?
2: Yeah, we're about to look at our rankings, but if you want the tools that help Bob Harris reach the Fantasy Football Hall of Fame, head to footballdiehards.com and get the Flash Update Pro. It's a full suite of tools to make you a better manager with rankings, configurable cheat sheets, mock draft, consistency tools, target distribution, snap counts, and more. Use code roundtable for an additional 15% off the already low price of $24.
1: All right, so let's jump into our rankings. And as I mentioned at the top, because we have a lot going on in this episode, we're just going to give you our top 12 players at each position. We're not going to go too deep into the analysis. So, Matt, I'm going to let you take it first. QBs, just give us your top 12.
2: Yeah, so QB, I'm um, starting it off with Captain Kirk, Kirk Cousins, uh, the one, the Captain Kirk that didn't go to space, uh, Vikings. Uh, number 11, Joe Burrow of the Bengals, having a pretty fantastic year. Number 10, Aaron Rodgers of the Packers. This is probably a good time also to remind people we have four teams on a bye and a myriad of injuries, so it's going to get thin real early when you're looking at rankings. Number nine, Jalen Hurts for the Eagles, may not be a great real-life quarterback but has done uh, quite well in fantasy number eight uh dac prescott for the cowboys seven tom brady a little bit banged up but he's got the eagles uh, number six for me matthew stafford rams uh, number five kyler murray of the cardinals Uh, Number four, Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs. Uh, Number three, Justin Herbert for the Chargers. And number two, Lamar Jackson for the Ravens. Those two teams play this week. That should be a hell of a game. And then number one, Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills, Monday night against Tennessee.
1: Yeah, so our rankings are almost like spot on here. So at 12, I have Kirk Cousins gets to go against Carolina. Matt Stafford at 11 for me going against the Giants. At 10, I have Herbert. I doubted him a little bit last week. Um, I don't want to doubt him here, but Baltimore definitely a tough matchup. Nine for me, Tom Brady. He would be higher, but he is still dealing with a little bit of a thumb issue here. And Philly's defense, not great. Eight, I have Dak Prescott going up against New England. Seven, Joe Burrow going up against Detroit. Six, Kyler Murray. Um, I think he, because of his escapability and what he can do after the snap, he's going to be able to get after Cleveland's defense a little bit, much like Herbert did last week. Five, I've got Aaron Rodgers going up against Chicago. Four, I have Jalen Hurts up here again. I agree with Matt. He is not – I don't want to say he's a bad NFL quarterback, but there's still questions about him as an NFL quarterback – but my guy is a fantasy asset. He's He's been amazing. So he's continuing to be up here. And I, I think with all of the players beat up on Tampa Bay's defense as well, could lead to him getting more rushing work this week. So I'm I'm kind of all in on Hurts again this week. Three, Lamar Jackson going against the Chargers. And then two, Patrick Mahomes against Washington. And then one for me is also Josh Allen going up against the uh, the Tennessee Titans.
2: We know Miles Sanders won't get more rushing work, so.
1: Exactly. That's why you got to be all in on Jalen Hurts. Uh, so for running backs at twelve, I have the newly minted starter Damian Williams. I still think Khalil Herbert's going to get work, uh, but we did see Damian Williams get mo- uh, get. Right around the same amount of rushing work, but did get more targets than Khalil Herbert. I think that matters. At 11, Darrell Henderson Jr. I'm back in on him. Giants not good begins to run. Uh, I think he could have a good game here. At 10, Nick Chubb. He is just amazing. I think he continues to have a good season here. At 9, Ezekiel Elliott. You know, he's been having a really good year, but obviously New England worries me a little bit going up against him. Now, granted, they haven't been. The best defense, or at least not quite the defense we thought they were going to be, but I've got him a little bit lower at eight, DeAndre Swift. Uh, going up against who they got against Cincinnati uh, Aaron Jones at seven going up against Chicago at six James Robinson. I, I know sounds crazy, but Miami has been putrid against the run. Uh, James Robinson has been really good the past couple of weeks. Number five, I have Derek Henry Buffalo's defense. I think has been the best in the NFL this year. I know Derek Henry is going to get the volume, but I do think that they're going to be able to slow him down just a little bit at four. Jonathan Taylor at Houston, I will be honest, this is the one ranking I am scared of the most because this seems like just the perfect spot for Taylor to go off again, and Frank Wright gives 20 touches to Naheem Hines, and Jonathan Taylor only gets 12. Uh, I I know, I really hope it doesn't happen, but this just feels like the perfect game script, doesn't it? Like, this is the perfect Naheem Hines game for some reason, uh, because that's just Frank Wright for you. At three, I have Austin Eckler going up against Baltimore. Two, Najee Harris going up against Seattle, and then one. I am. It looks like Christian McCaffrey is coming back. So he has made his way back to the number one spot where he deserves to be in my running back rankings.
2: Yeah. So I, uh, mine, I'm guessing a few of these guys are actually finally going to be available. They're tracking to be available. It's tough when we're making our guesses on Wednesday afternoon, but. Uh, 12, I have Nick Chubb for the Browns. Uh, 11, DeAndre Swift, Lions. 10, James Robinson for the Jaguars. His only impediment is Urban Meyer and Daryl Bevel. Uh, number nine, I went with Mixon for the Bengals. Samadji Pirine went on um, COVID protocol. Mixon looks – he was close to being back – or he did play a little bit last week. So I think he probably back to a full workload. Um that was nine. Number eight, Ezekiel Elliott for the Cowboys. Seven, I dropped him a little bit, but Dalvin Cook likes, looks like he's tracking to play. He, he's usually involved in all three phases. Makes me a little nervous, but I'm throwing him in there again. Number six, Jonathan Taylor. Um, He's got Frank Reich dome bonus. <laughs> I know, I know. Number five, Aaron Jones. Four, Najee Harris of the Steelers. Uh, losing Juju is going to do nothing but cause them to have to run the ball more. And Seattle's not great. Yeah. Number three, Austin Eckler. Number two, Christian McCaffrey. Looks like he's tracking to play. I still have Derrick Henry at number one. Uh, Buffalo's <laughs> uh, yeah. defense is good. They, they might give him 95 carries. I've seen the rest of their team play. Uh, and rookie, I'm going with Harris. Yeah, Alex.
1: So Alex asked a question, which rookie do you like better out of Najee Harris and Kyle Pitts? Um, And if you are still watching Alex, if you wouldn't mind answering a question for me, is this for long-term or right now? Because long-term I actually think I like Pitts better. I think he's got a longer future in the NFL. But if you're talking about right now to win it all, I am with Matt. It is Najee. I know a lot of people are not, they seem to not be giving him the credit he deserves. He's been amazing to start this season, especially yeah. behind a really bad Steelers offensive line. He's getting a lot of catches as well. I, I think Najee's going to be this, if not a better version of what we're seeing right now. Um, so he said dynasty. I, if I, so I always, I'll, I'll put it to I'm you this way. i still going Harris. I look to like three to four year windows. If you're a winning team right now, three to four years, it's not, I have a winning team and it's not, time, then it's Harris for me as well. Yeah. If you have a winning team right now, it's Harris. Because, I know Pitts had the big game last week. I don't know that that continues. I hope it does because I've got a bet on the line for it. But Harris, I think, is going to consistently give you, at worst, is it fair to say 12 to 15 points a week just because of how Mm. much he gets in the receptions, and I think even more than that. And Pittsburgh did look a little bit better last week. As Matt mentioned, no more juju, so that might force things even more to Najee. He's the guy that I want for the next couple years. Now, again, if you're talking – Five, six years down the road, I want Pitts because I think he's going to have the longer future. But Najee for like the next three to four years for me easily.
2: I also think Atlanta's offense and quarterback situation is more of a question now. I know Pittsburgh's going to change quarterback, but arguably they don't really have a great quarterback situation right now, and it hasn't impacted Harris. He's probably only going to get better and grow in that offense, especially if they get a rookie quarterback, you know, a running back so yeah. rookie quarterback's best friend, Atlanta. I don't
1: know if I believe in the scheme or. Well, they're going to get a new quarterback <laughs> next year too. So, uh, but I hear you. Yeah, well, you know, you know I... I mean, but I do look, think. Look at
2: what happened when Arthur Smith was there for John U. Smith, the guy who we think Man, is well, talented, who is was chronically underused. Did Kyle Pitts have a huge game because it's finally time, or is it because they had no one else?
1: Yeah, I'm, it may unfortunately be because they had no one else. All right, wide receivers. This one might surprise you guys, but he's been amazing. I've got Marquise Hollywood Brown at 12 right now. I mean, we saw what the Browns were able to do here against the Chargers, and they don't have anybody on their roster. I mean, Odell, I think, is better than Hollywood Brown, but he's sure as shit not playing like it right now, or really the past couple years. So I'm all in on Brown having a big week here again. At 11, I have Deontay Johnson. Seattle's defense, again, not been good this year. The loss of Juju, I think, just gives... Deontay even more targets. He's been the one, in my opinion. I think that he increases even more. Ten, Stefan Diggs going up against Tennessee. As Matt likes to say, their defense is, uh, you know, a rumor. So a rumor. I think Stefan Diggs could, uh, could be good this week. At nine, I got Mike Williams. I mean, I we saw we saw Carson Wentz being able to get against them a little bit this Monday night. I think Herbert's obviously better than Wentz. Mike Williams seems to be their big play guy right now over Keenan Allen, which sucks because I love Keenan Allen. So I'm I'm putting Mike Williams up here instead of Keenan Allen. At 8, I've got Justin Jefferson. Even though Carolina has C.J. Henderson now, uh, most of their top corners out, Stephon Gilmore is not able to play yet. Uh, So I think Jefferson can go out there and have a good game. At 7, I've got Chris Godwin against Philadelphia. 6, Terry McLaurin. Casey's defense is much better against the pass than they are the run. Uh, but Terry McLaurin is, I think, literally all Heineke has to throw to outside of you know Ricky Seals-Jones, who I did have to pick up, so I'm hoping he has a good game here, but I'm not betting on it. Terry McLaurin is the guy I'm going with. At five, I think DJ Moore bounces back here against Minnesota's defense. Four, Cooper Cup going up against the Giants. Three, Jamar Chase against Detroit. Two, Tyree Kill against Washington. And then number one is always going to be number one until he's on a bye, and that's Devontae Adams.
2: Maybe even still.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, he no, will be, because I love him so much. He'll still be
2: one. Number 12 for me, Jamar Chase, Bengals. Uh, 11, I I went with Mike Evans. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. And 116 yards, two touchdowns will do that. Number 10, I went with Justin Jefferson, Vikings. 9, Keenan Allen for the Chargers. 8, Terry McLaurin for Washington. 7, Stephon Diggs for the Bills. 6, DK Metcalf for the Seahawks. I know they have Geno Smith. I... Uh, I watched Pittsburgh's defense last week. It did not impress me. And Geno Smith managed to find Geno Smith had one instruction when he came in. It was find DK Metcalf. And he managed to do that. Uh, Metcalf got two on Ramsey. I think he can, he'll be just fine. Number five, I'm with you, DJ Moore bounce back. Number four for me, Mike Williams. He seems to be the big play guy for the Chargers. I think this Chargers-Ravens game is going to be a big play game. Three, Cooper Cup. Number two, Tyreek Hill. Um, He's got to be salivating looking at the Washington secondary of late and number one, Devontae Adams for the Packers. Should I roll tight end?
1: Give us your tight ends.
2: I'm just going to preface this by saying tight end uh, is – sadder than normal this week with all the buys and injuries and people like dallas goddard getting COVID. number 12 for me is evan ingram for the giants if not now when no barkley no galladay possibly no slayton it's his time number 11 jared cook for the chargers Uh, just when you think you're out cook reels you back in Uh, they seem to be looking at him Uh, Number 10, Tyler Higby for the Rams. Number nine, Zach Ertz for the Eagles. Goddard's gone. That should be good things for Ertz. Number eight, Hunter Henry for the Patriots. He seems to be developing some chemistry with Mac Jones. They're going to have to throw playing against the Cowboys. Number seven, Noah Fant for the Broncos. Uh, The Raiders have not been great against tight ends. Number six, Dalton Schultz for the Cowboys. He he is not going away. Number five, TJ Hawkinson for the Lions. Number four, our boy, Dawson Knox for the Bills. Number three, Darren Waller for the Raiders. Two, Mark Andrews, who looked like a beast. And then Travis Kelsey at one.
1: All right, so at twelve for me, I have Ricky Seals Jones this week. Kansas City has been getting torn up by the tight end, and I'll be honest again—I hundred percent honest with everybody here. This is me a little bit of wishing this into existence. I'm happy to rely on him a lot this week after Max Williams went down. So here's hoping for the best. Dan Arnold at eleven—we saw him when the trade happened. They were already getting him used into the offense. Marvin Jones and those guys are just not clicking with with, with Trevor Lawrence. I, I would not be surprised if Dan Arnold. Has a pretty good game this week. At number, what was that, 11? 10, I have Dalton Schultz going up against New England. At 9, I have Noah Fant going up against the Raiders. At 8, I have Mike Gasicki going up against Jacksonville. At 7, I have Zach Ertz going up against Tampa Bay. At six, I have TJ Hawkinson going up against Cincinnati. At five, I have Hunter Henry going up against Dallas. At four, I have Darren Waller going up against Denver. At three, I have the Dawson Knox, the one and only Dawson Knox, going up against Tennessee. At two, I have Travis Kelsey. Uh, Washington's defense, while not great, I think might be able to slow him down a little bit. That secondary I don't think is going to be able to slow it down, Tyree Kill. uh, And at one, I am putting Mark Andrews against the Chargers. I'm expecting that to be much like the Browns game we saw this past weekend in, in a shootout. So I think a lot of these guys are going to get a lot of points. So that is my top 12 for week six of the NFL.
2: Well, you know, last week, DraftKings had an incredible deal. You could bet $1 on any game, and if either team scored, you got $100 in free bets. Well, you know what? They're rolling it back. They're doing it again this week. So head over to the DraftKings Sportsbook app and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN and throw down a $1 bet on any NFL game to win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. So just make sure you're betting that Ravens-Chargers game and you're good to go. That's promo code T-P-P-N. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, hit up 1-800 GAMBLER.
1: So to answer uh, Hoops himself question, don't mind interrupting, but thoughts on Thielen's down performance the past couple of weeks? I'm like tougher defensive matchups. Yeah, I'm seventy thirty that it doesn't really matter. Cleveland's got a good defense. Last week was just a weird game, I think, for Minnesota. Justin Jefferson did have have a good game, but. I mean, Thielen did, if I'm remembering correctly, he just missed scoring a touchdown in that one, didn't he? So he would have had a better day. We've seen this the past couple of years out of Thielen, too, where he goes a couple of weeks of having bad games and then just turns it right back on and has those massive seasons. Again, last year, I think he finished, was it top? He finished as a top 12 wide receiver last year, didn't he? Yeah, because of all the all the, the touchdowns. touchdowns. That's,
2: yeah. And that's really going to be, I think, make or break for me. I, I threw yeah. him in. Um, I have them as a low-end wide receiver, too. I was trying to look at their um, matchup this week because it wasn't particularly – they're at Carolina. Yeah. You would it figure Henderson probably sh- shadows Jefferson. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we saw KJ Osborne really explode the first couple of weeks, Tyler Conklin, everybody kind of dialed back, that passing offense dialed back. I think if they get Dalvin Cook, they'll have a little bit better balance and that'll open things up a little more for Thielen.
1: Yeah, so for me on Thielen, it goes back to something Matt said a minute ago, and it's the touchdowns. I just He's not going to be that guy we saw three years ago where he was getting a lot of catches and yards. I think he is moving more towards being, unfortunately, kind of more touchdown-based with his scoring. Now, they don't really have the tight end to do that. I mean, Conklin is what Conklin is. I'm not worried about him, but not having Irv Smith, Rudolph moving on. I think we're going to see more from Thielen. I wouldn't be worried about him but you are going to get some of these weeks where he only gets you like five or six points because I just don't think – he's not the target monster. And I think – I do agree with Matt, though. Once Cook comes back, that might open things up a little bit because right now I think teams can kind of fall back, throw more guys in the secondary, put more DBs out on the field, and just kind of like beat us running the ball because Alexander Madison's not good, and neither is your offensive line.
2: Well, and, you know, Thielen was the guy they went to when they had to have a play to put them into field goal position. Last week, a little bit of a fluke. He only saw three targets. He had had no fewer than seven targets in each of the previous four games. Even the week before when against Cleveland when he didn't have a huge game, that was kind of a rickety offensive performance. He saw eight targets. He just was only able to haul in three for 46 and didn't get that touchdown. So I think – long-term he's going to be okay, but he is a little more touchdown dependent for me than some of the other
1: guys. I agree. All right. So let's jump in and preview the Thursday night football game between the Bucks and the Eagles for the Buccaneers, Rob Gronkowski, Levante, David, Antoine Winfield, and, um, are all out. Those guys are out. Yeah. Ryan Jensen is questionable. Tom Brady is a little beat up with the thumb injury. Do you think the Buccaneers will try and lean on their run game?
2: Yeah, I think we've seen this too, especially on a short week. They've got something good going with Leonard Fournette. He's been a big part of the game plan the last couple of weeks. I think that continues. That being said, you know, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, probably still in good shape. Chris Godwin was on the injury report early in the week, but he was a full participant. Brady was a full participant. I think you're going to be just fine.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to be fine too. He wouldn't come out and say he's playing if he wasn't. Um, You know, Leonard Fournette, I think it's the guy that they're going to lean on. He's actually been surprisingly good the past couple weeks, been putting up some pretty decent fantasy points as well. Uh, But I think overall, Brady will be fine in this game. You're still going to get production. I, I'm believing more in Godwin and probably Antonio Brown, um, but I, I think it's kind of back to where we were last year. We are not really going to know who the guy's going to be, uh, but I do think this is going to be a pretty good offensive game, so maybe all three of these guys come through for you in some sort of way, uh, but I'm not really worried about Brady, and I do think that they'll lean on uh, Leonard Fournette a little bit more than usual. For the Eagles, Dallas Goddard um, is out because of COVID, and Lane Johnson is out as well. Matt, do you think the Eagles can beat the Buccaneers on Thursday night? And if you do, what is it going to take from this offense to do it?
2: Well, uh, You know, spoiler alert, I'm not going to pick the Eagles, but I think they, they can win. Um, what it would take is some really great heads-up plays uh, from Jalen Hurts to help them uh, with scoring, and they probably are going to have to be very opportunistic on defense. You know, we've seen um, – New England was able to stymie uh, what Tom Brady wanted to do and what the offense wanted to do, kind of forcing them to grind it out and run more, which helped keep them in the game with a young quarterback and maybe not the most robust offense. So that's a that's a good model of what they can through. that ultimately didn't quite pan out, but we saw Mac Jones very efficient with the ball, not making any mistakes. And I think that's what we've got to see from Hertz. If they're going to have a chance, he's been dynamic about making plays with his legs when he has to, but the completion percentage hasn't been great. And he's been making some pretty crucial turnovers. You have to be turnover free. If you want to beat a better team like Tampa Bay.
1: Yeah, um, I agree with that. You know, Miles Sanders worries me a little bit here. Again, I mentioned earlier why I have Jalen Hurts so high is the Buccaneers have some injuries on their offensive line or offense, defensive line, and their linebackers. So I think Hurts is going to be able to make some plays here, but they're really not leaning much on Miles Sanders. So I'm a little bit worried about him. I don't know that you can bench him because you probably where you drafted him. You may not have any better options. Um, I am with you on Zach Ertz probably having a good week here with uh, with Goddard being out Ertz is going to be the guy that he likely has to target a lot for me it's really hurts Ertz and Smith I I think Devonta Smith can have a good game here the Tampa Bay's secondary has been beat up a little bit I don't know that Richard Sherman is playing do you know
2: um, I think he is. He wasn't okay. the the only players that uh I listed are the only ones out. They had a ton of people on the injury report who've worked their way off. Yeah, gotcha. that's why okay. I had to go make some adjustments. I I would be concerned though, isn't Lane Johnson the left tackle?
1: Yes, he That is.
2: worries yeah. me a little bit. Anytime you're going without your tight your best tight end yeah. and your left tackle blocking even well, and know, I know Shaq Barrett's still there.
1: Yeah, I, I do think that that just speaks more to, I think, Hurts probably having a good game because he might run more in this one. Yeah. And I mean, again, it may not be great for the Eagles as an NFL team, but it's great for us as, as, as fantasy, guys who who roster him in fantasy. Because, I, And I will be honest because I, I paid attention to this game because I do roster Hurts in a couple places in a couple big leagues that I was starting him. If he doesn't get those two rushing touchdowns last week, he does not have a great day for you fantasy-wise. Those rushing touchdowns really helped you. I do think he can do a little bit of that this week. Uh, I am not picking them to win this game either. I'm taking Tampa Bay, but I do think it's going to be a close game. I do not think Tampa Bay blows them out. I I do think that it's going to be like a 31-28 game, uh, but I do expect the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to pull off the win.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm just double-checking. They All the people that were injured before are still injured. Jason Pierre-Paul is going to play, um, okay. and it looks like Patrick O'Connor, who was the other defensive end on the injury list, are going to play. So they are going to miss David and Winfield and all those corners that were gone, but Sherman's not on here, so he should be good to go. I am picking Tampa Bay, too. I'd be a little surprised
1: if they didn't. Yeah. And I imagine Dennis's as well. He did not put his pick in, but yeah. we're pretty sure he's you not. Know, Den-
2: Dennis is the, is the Jalen Hurts truth or he picks oh, the Eagles true. every week. That's yeah. true. That I is mean, true. I forgot quick, about quick quick that. We credit. All
1: right. So for those of you who have not finished What if? or seen the new James Bond movie, no time to die. We will see you guys on Friday where Matt, myself, and I believe Dennis will be back. We will yeah. recap the Thursday night football game and preview the rest of the week six NFL slate because we are going to give spoilers away. And I do not want to ruin it. I'm going to be honest. I don't care if I ruin what if for you, because it was just okay. I do not want to ruin no time to die for you because I thought it was an amazing movie. Um, And we're going to give spoilers away because there's just no way to talk about what I want to talk about without giving some things away. So please do not continue watching if you have not seen or listening if you have not seen the entire What If series and No Time to Die. If you have and you would like to get our thoughts on it, we're going to jump into that now. So let's start with What If Oh, I mean, well, we'll see. Maybe I was a little bit harsh. We'll, we'll see what Matt has to say. Matt is the the film critic here, but uh, we'll start with what if because I don't have as much to talk about with that as I do. No time to die. Um, so I'll, I'll let you kick it off here. You finished it. Kind of what were your overall thoughts about it, and and kind of what uh, you know what what you think about what it could, what could come next.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty amazing year for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, both on the big screen and the small screen. We've seen them diving into TV, really, the first time. And I've enjoyed the series. What if I I would lean toward you? I thought it was okay. It had its moments. It was a lot darker than I was anticipating. Some of it was a little stranger than I was, you know, the the idea and the fascination of what could possibly be was interesting, but I wasn't always taken with each of the individual chapters. And then the way I guess I didn't realize until the penultimate episode and really the finale, that all these were supposed to be sort of connected um, in, in a certain way. Uh, so seeing them all kind of come together there at the end, it was a it was somewhat fascinating finale. I don't know where it goes from here. We already know it's coming back for a second season. And I also, they made illusions that it's going to be connected to the larger, um, Marvel cinematic universe. Curious to see, um, in what way that, that comes through.
1: Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing for me. Like we've kind of, especially with the TV series and obviously the movies going all the way back to Iron Man, right? Like we've, given some kind of glimpse of what is coming next. I don't really know what to take out of what's coming next with what happened with what if I did enjoy the stories. I will say the one thing is I'm with you. I did not expect it to be as dark as it was, but I kind of liked it. Uh, It's one of the things that I've really liked about DC at times is while their movies haven't always been great. I like the darker undertones. It doesn't always have to be campy. Now I do like, You know, like one of my favorite Marvel movies is Civil War, which is just a very, it has very serious undertone, so it's a very good movie. Suspense, I liked a lot of it. Um, What's the other one? Winter Soldier is another one, is another one of my favorites. And, And I like that stuff about it. We did get a lot of, there's a lot of darkness in What If, which I did kind of like and then bringing it, bring it. But I didn't necessarily like that. I mean, it felt like none of the stories were really connected at all. Outside of the Watcher, I didn't really love the ending of them just fighting like a souped up Thanos slash Ultron with him having all the Infinity Stones and then um, Killmonger kind of turning on the group as they they thought they had killed Ultron. It was just a whole, or no, I guess they did kill Ultron, so.
2: It was strange, too, because, you know, when he collects all those people and puts them together into a team... If you had been watching the individual episodes throughout, you wouldn't have necessarily thought of a few of those guys as heroes per se. Yeah. With the I mean, we thought the what if series was going to be a redemption of sorts for Killmonger, but it was not, you yeah. know. And you know, we had Dark Strange, not super heroic sort of childish Thor were we supposed to take away that he was heroic I so I'll be curious to see but it didn't it didn't hit with some of the power for me of the three scripted series or what I'm anticipating from Hawkeye it didn't hit with the power of the movies they released this year if it was the only thing that came out this year we'd probably be higher on it but they set the bar so high starting in yeah, january so with true. WandaVision that you know by comparison
1: i think it ends up just being okay i will ask one question maybe i missed this episode i don't th- it shows that i watched all of them but i don't ever remember seeing Gamora and Tony being together so what did i where did i miss that at
2: yeah i don't remember seeing cuz where she defeated thanos i don't remember yeah. that one either
1: that's what i was trying to figure out because i was watching it and obviously they goes it drops and she's got the thanos armor on with his sword tony's yeah, all to- suited up he starts dying
2: in pretty much every episode right saw, like died and in so a sad way
1: he goes in there and he gets him i'm like wait when did i miss Gam- i don't remember ever there being one about Gamora. so i don't know hoops if you're still here uh because i clearly i i would assume you watch it based on your comment like I don't remember seeing that. That is one I would have liked to see. I liked It looks Thor. like he I, said I, it
2: wasn't an episode. Yeah, I would okay. have been curious so, about that too. Because it looked like she and Tony Stark were at the place where Thor went in Endgame yeah. and fought his axe.
1: Yeah, I can't remember the name of the the star now. But yeah, that, yeah. that so that was confusing nowhere. to me as well. Yeah, nowhere. Uh, it, it was confusing to me as well there. I, I didn't... What happened... To, like Loki, it was supposed to be a long thing, but they split it up. Oh, okay. See, but I would have preferred that if they were going to make that, like, maybe we get this show down at the end of season two then. Like, I would have liked to see the Gamora episode, because I actually do like Gamora. I'd like to see one where Tony Stark doesn't die, as Matt just mentioned. So, it, it's just maybe the second season makes it a little bit better. Again, I didn't hate it. I I, I enjoyed watching every episode. It just, it maybe Matt worded it better in that with how good I think all the series have been so far, I think what if falls below all of those for me. So and and that's why I say it was okay. It wasn't great. I, I enjoyed WandaVision. It's I no enjoyed, Hulk you know, Falcon there. and you Winter know, we're Soldier.
2: not We're not dunking on it.
1: Yeah. All right. So you have anything else to say about what if before we get into what I really want to talk about, and that is no time to die.
2: Now, it just uh, I'll be curious to see if it comes back. It, it almost seemed like they were alluding to it popping up in uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness.
1: Yeah, which will be interesting. I've heard a lot of theories about that. I've only seen the one trailer. Which I'm curious to see.
2: Would well, they? I don't even think they have a trailer for Doctor Strange yet. That was a trailer. Oh for yeah, Spider-Man. I'm sorry, Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, Spider Man. Uh, but that would. Uh, it feels like a lot of their television shows are pointing to their, you know, WandaVision very clearly seem to be pointing uh, in that direction. Uh, Loki seemed to be very clearly pointing in that direction. I would assume that this show might be pointing in that direction as well. Um, So that, that will make it a little bit more interesting to see how it kind of comes out because Jeffrey Wright is a bigger actor and we haven't seen him embody you wouldn't be shocked if he actually
1: popped up in person
2: as he popped up yeah, in person. And the watcher. next thing we're about to talk
1: about. Oh, man, it's so tough, too. All right. So no time to die. We talked a little bit. I'm pretty sure maybe it was on air uh, last week yeah. about we are both big Bond fans. So I'll be honest. I liked the movies beforehand. I did not get as into James Bond as I have been until Casino Royale with Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought he was the perfect Bond. I know a lot of people. I've read a lot of stuff the past couple of days, and so I'm going to group it all together here. And there's a lot of people who are fans of Ian Fleming's Bond. Obviously, if you have not read the books, I would suggest them. I love them. I have every single one of them, including the last one that came out, which I, I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Gardner. Uh, wrote another one, uh, Carte Blanche, I believe, is the name of the book. Um, it is very good as well. They did not like Daniel Craig's Bond as much because he is more human. A lot of times we see him as more of this like eccentric kind of you know playboy who just kind of does the mission. Never really see him bleed or get down. And we've seen Daniel Craig's James Bond struggle with a lot, including love. And this is kind of what this last one wraps around with his love for Madeline. Haven't seen any John James Bond movies because there are too many for different actors. I don't know where to start. Start with Casino Royale and watch him. And if you're going to do that hoops, leave please. Cause we're going to ruin this for you. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but I promise You will truly enjoy these five movies if you sit down and watch Casino Royale because it's not connected to anything. That is the one thing I will say. Um, In in my opinion, Craig's Bonds are not connected to any of the past Bonds or anything like that. Um, I, I would definitely suggest watching them. There is a very good five string of movies here. So, For me, the one thing I'll say is I felt like No Time to Die was a complete departure from most Bond movies. It was not something that you usually see. I feel like they took a lot of risks that I think paid off. Um, Koji, I don't know how to say his his full name here, um, but he's directed some. Uh, I think it's Fukunawa, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah,
2: Joji Fukunaga.
1: Joji, I'm sorry. Um, so he's directed like some horror movies and everything, and I feel like you uh, very much saw he, that.
2: Yeah he directed the first season of True Detective.
1: Oh, well, even better. See Ya Hoops, thank you for thank you for turning in Enjoy Casino Royale, uh Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and then No Time to Die in theaters if you have time to go see it. Uh yeah, I thought um, you saw some some elements of the horror movies and and the stuff the the suspense in this one. The beginning scene in Norway, I thought was incredible. Um I did not expect the title sequence to go that long. Uh for those of you who don't know, they usually do like a little intro thing before they get into the music of the whatever that theme song is going to be for Bond and they do like a whole This one went a lot longer than than usual. We got the entire Norway scene and then the entire scene in Italy where obviously we see that. So I'm going to start there. Kind of what were your thoughts with that, Matt? Yeah,
2: I mean, this one picks up, uh, you know, as a as a sequel, as we've seen with J- Daniel Craig's James Bond, they tie the movies back together. You know, you often pick up where it left off. I feel like, especially with, you know i I remember the pierce brosnan ones pretty well i don't know how many of the other ones i had seen before that they were some kind of self-contained movies more this has felt really like it wants to be five a five movie series um so you get that in a pretty strong way i thought that opening um action sequence was really good and then you launch into um the song and you're always i one of the things i love about the bond opening credits is they the way that they do these kind of they're one of the few movies nowadays that has these kind of long animated credit sequences they always have something to do with what the plot's going to be but you don't always know until you're starting it um i thought that was kind of clever too
1: yeah i loved the um the biggest thing for me the bullets make the dna strands which you don't at the time at least i didn't understand what that meant and what was going on now yeah I know after going back, like, I'm with you on that. Uh, So I guess my biggest thing that I did not like about this, and I went back and watched it a second time. There's a lot of things that I picked up, like a lot of subtle things, like in the commentary that I really liked um, just in that opening scene. Um, where you think that Madeline may have actually turned on Bond, or he thinks that with what's going on, what happens at Vesper's grave, which I do like that they go back there and, and kind of bring that all back together again. is like his, his one first true love, right? Like the one woman he first let his guard down to and kind of realized, hey, maybe I can't be in love and do all this. And you really don't see him fall for anybody again until Spectre with Madeline. She touches her stomach a lot, which obviously is a key to what happens later in the film. We'll save that that for later. In the beginning part, which I think is kind of like, I did not pick up on that the first time. I wasn't paying attention to that. I thought it had to do when she kept saying, you know, when there's the whole car chasing scene and the whole thing where Bond is just like broken because he thinks Madeline has, has kind of, you know, uh, has been leading him on this whole time and kind of turned on him. Uh, she's clearly trying to tell him her secret. I thought it was about uh, Safin. I did not think it was about. I'm just gonna say it's the pregnancy. Like, I, so that was kind of big for me. Uh, go ahead.
2: No, I well, I I don't know if pregnancy would have been what she was going to tell him. I think it was going to be about her childhood.
1: Well, okay, so maybe I I, I read to She she like when she's on the train at the end, where she's like she holds her stomach the whole time. So I don't know. I took yeah. that as, then again, maybe it's because I know what happens now, so I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I feel like that's what she was trying to tell him, though, was that she was pregnant. I don't know. Like, I do think she was going to tell him about the Saffin thing, but I, I think that that was more about the pregnancy. But, I mean, I just, I loved everything about the movie. Uh, my whole, I, if I had to pick a favorite sequence overall, it was the Cuba stuff.
2: Hmm.
1: One, because Paloma, I, I, I mean, my God. Stunning. And incredible. I don't, Anna, D- Anna De Armas. So, Anna So, you know,
2: have you ever seen, uh, Knives Out?
1: I have. I love Knives Out, yes. Yeah, I, I love so, her in that too. She's also, I think, really good in, um, Blade Runner, the newest one, with Ryan Gosling. She plays the, um, uh, mm-hmm. like, not imaginary, but the, um, the, like, electronic girlfriend, however, she's like yeah. a, uh, hologram or something like that. So, uh, but I think she, yeah, I loved her in Knives Out. Um, I thought she killed it, though, as Paloma. Like, she was the one part of this movie that really brought some comedy into what was a very serious story. And I understand she's also a throwback to, I think, the traditional Bond girls, which we have not yeah. seen a lot of in these. With uh, Daniel and, and, Craig. Yeah, with Daniel Craig's, we've seen more of these women who are like his equals. In previous Bond films, we see these women who are kind of dressed up. And, and look very good, beautiful. She is a very beautiful woman. And they kind of like have to prove themselves throughout the film to prove they're equals. You get that right off the bat with these Craig movies, which I do like. Uh, you don't know what to expect from Paloma, though. She comes and talks about how nervous she is. She's very funny. Just the whole exchange with Cuba is hilarious for me. And then obviously the way things end in Cuba was heartbreaking. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I'm going to give away a big spoiler. So again, please... And not keep watching uh, the death of Felix Sharp, which I love Sharp. I thought you know Jeffrey Wright, who obviously was the watcher, and what if that we were just talking about? Um, I thought was great as Felix Sharp. We got him in three movies. He's been in previous incarnations. Uh, we have not got to see him in this many ep- uh, this many movies as the same actor Jeffrey Wright has played um, lighter more than any other pro- or person has played him in more movies.
2: You can call on. him Felix Sharp.
1: Oh, sorry. Well, you know, my buddy, Felix Sharp. Shout out. Felix Leiter. Um, he, he unfortunately gets shot in the stomach um, on this boat where uh, Nash, who is a new in this movie, kind of turns on them. And not only do we see him kind of die, I thought the exchange at the end was was very good with like this is the best life. And um, the one thing I hated, and it did make me tear up a little bit, I won't lie, is when he kind of just like goes down into the water, it was very Vesper-esque, his death, where he kind of floats away the way his body was in the water. That kind of hit me because I do think, and as you hear Bond say later, that was, in his opinion, his only real brother, and that's what he says to uh, Blofeld in the prison, when Blofeld men- mentions they're technically brothers adopted, uh, he mentions, he's like, I, already, I only had a brother, Felix. So it, to see that, like that kind of hit a little bit in the heart, your thoughts on, on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was a that was a tough sequence, obviously. Um, he brings it up uh, too when he's talking to uh, M. Yeah, the uh, Mallory. Yeah. And that seemed to be a way that, it, you know, that seemed to be something that hit uh, and pretty hard one of the reasons it felt like he changes course and you know puts bond back into uh because you know we we picked up this movie it's supposed to be five years later he's retired yes. i i thought the he's they actually have a new 007 um you know Lashawna lynch who uh, who played that part i thought she was really good um yeah it was kind of a you know it was a different different look for him i was gonna it's interesting to me too there was a lot of questions a few years ago about whether we'd even see daniel craig again because he had some unflattering things to say about being the part right before specter came out and then he seemed super pumped about this movie and everything the situation given how it ends sort of reminded me of harrison ford with han solo where he was out on the whole thing, like I'm never going to do this again. Then all of a sudden, yeah. he seems super pumped to be in The Force Awakens. And when you start watching the movie, you kind of figure out why he was super pumped to be back.
1: Yeah, so uh, that's I think one of my biggest—I don't even want to say criticisms because I love the film overall. I, I don't Spectre. A lot of people thought Spectre was going to be Craig's last film, and so mm. I do think that's why they allowed Blowfield to just be arrested. Um, Because it was one of those things where, like, I don't, we never, we didn't expect him to come back for one more film. Because the one thing I will say, and Christoph Waltz, number one, is an amazing actor. I would have loved to continue to see Blofeld as more of the main villain. Than Saffin, not that Rami Rami Malik was bad. I actually thought he was very good as Saffin. I like the villain of Saffin. I wish we could have gotten more of that. I felt like he was a little underdeveloped as the villain. We don't. I don't really fully understand all of his motivations in this film. Yeah. I understand the beginning part, not the end. Uh, But I do think that the reason that happened was because we did not know they were going to come back. And so at the end again of Spectre, Blofeld's arrested. I don't know that you can just say, oh, hey, he broke free and he's now the bad guy again. So because I didn't love the way that they killed him off either. He in the books and even in the earlier James Bond movies, he's like the biggest villain for Bond. So to kind of see him just killed off technically almost as like an accident because it wasn't really, like, I understand the movie was done, on, but, like, Bond didn't do it on purpose. He didn't know. So I didn't necessarily love that part. I would have loved to see Blofeld more as, like, a main villain um, throughout the entire film. Not just kind of, like, working things in the background and then just kind of dying kind of for, rapidly, in my opinion.
2: For as long as it was, you know, 163-minute runtime is pretty long for a film these days you know you're broaching on three hours to you know two hours and 43 minutes it feels like there was a big piece that must have been originally in there that was missed because of the motivation for why Safin takes Madeline and his seeming seemingly making it seem like they have some kind of romantic connection that that's the one piece I would say felt like it came out of nowhere in the third act yeah. where you're like come again
1: yeah i think some of that goes to obviously he i think he saw a lot of himself in madeline which is why he rescued her at the beginning of the movie you know he was a child who was killed or he was he survived his whole family being slaughtered by her father mr white who we saw die in Spectre, was like a main guy through most i think i know he was in uh both quantum of solace and casino royale i don't believe he was in skyfall at all uh, but then he was obviously in Spectre as well, the fourth one. So he wasn't really three. I don't think there was a lot of anything Spectre-wise outside. Of you find out uh, Blofeld was kind of pulling the strings with, and I, uh, I don't remember his name. It is escaping me right now. But the character that Javier Bardem plays phenomenally, I might add, in the movie. Um, oh, yeah. He helps him out with certain things in that movie, but there's not really a lot of Spectre strings in that one because that's more about M. And I think Judy Dench is kind Silver. of the send-off.
2: Yeah, so there we go.
1: Yeah, uh, that's kind of more about like Bond and Judy Dench's M and kind of like her final send off. So there wasn't a lot of specter in that, but yeah, I'm with you. Like, so I think that's why he saved her because it's like, you know what, it's not her fault, just like it wasn't my fault that what happened happened. But then the romantic thing at the end, I don't get now. He did say something to her when he goes and sees her very creepily playing with her hair, which I thought was a little bit weird. Um, maybe it was a little bit of he, he mentions that he saved her life and that, you know, gives him power. So I don't, maybe that's some of it. I don't know if maybe he took, I, I don't think that he really wanted Madeline. Maybe he did. I think he wanted Matilda and to have like a child of his own to raise and teach. Um, And in and, and doing that, you probably have to have Madeline there as well. But yeah, I'm with you. That was just like a weird thing. Again, I wish we could have gotten more into Safin because I know a lot of people have talked bad, kind of of like Rami Malek's past couple films. I thought he played really I thought he played uh Safin very a very good job. It was very creepy. Um I thought overall did a very good job as the villain. Didn't get a lot of screen time though. Like he really wasn't a a major villain until really the third act. And even then you don't get a lot of them even on the island. It's it's only well, a little bit.
2: And that's almost you know you talk about the opening uh sequence before the song there was almost two Opening sequences, really. Yeah. I mean, there was two. That's why it felt even longer.
1: Yeah, uh, but overall, you know, like I said, I liked. It. I, I do like that they took the risk of giving him a child. I don't think we've, I, not that I can remember off the top of my head, have I, I? Do I remember Bond ever having a child? So I did like that. I do. Like, um, you know, obviously giving him kind of like that redeeming arc at the end with Madeline where they finally get together and you look like they're going to be happy. And then obviously you get to the ending where, again, um, so for those of you who've seen it, obviously Safin um, has created the Heracles thing with Madeline and I believe Matilda's blood in it to kind of, if, if they go near anybody with, once that vial breaks, they will die. Um, and he breaks it on bond. So bond knows now he can never go up there and he, he pretty much sacrifices himself for his kid. Um, and the woman that he loves, you know, I saw a lot of people hating on that. And the one thing I'll say is if you have kids, I don't know any parent that would not have done the same thing. Um, I do think that it was a great way for, Daniel Craig's bond to get that final send off, because again, he's always been this guy. He's, he's been more of a humanized bond with flaws. And I do think he's always kind of been that guy ever since Vesper kind of broke him in casino Royale as this guy. That's like, I'm just going to kind of kill and use kind of like the bond that we get in the Fleming books um, and not really let it affect him. And we got to see that kind of change around. And he finally has a reason to kind of, Live And unfortunately, I think that's what makes it so tragic. Like his character to me has always been his bond has been very tragic with everything he's gone through. And I think that that really solidifies it because he finally gets the chance to be happy. And then that happens because he's doing what he also has loved for the most part of his entire life, which is his job. Right. Like that's what he says to Felix. It's the best. This job is the best. And he says it really is. He's always sacrificed for queen and country. And he does it one more time by going back on the island to make sure that the blast doors are opened. Uh, It causes him to have that done. And, you know, he could could have been selfish. He could have just left and said, no, I'm going to leave and we'll figure this out. But he doesn't. He says, I don't want to take the risk of anybody getting the Hercules on them that contains Madeline and Matilda's blood that could eventually kill them. And he sacrifices himself. And I will admit the the final scene where he's standing there, they're talking on the, the earpiece. I'm, I swear I'm going to do my best to not get like all choked up. Yeah. And when she's like, he, she has your eyes and she's like, she does, or I know, I know. And then he dies. Like it's a, to me, it was a very powerful moment. I loved it. I thought it was the perfect send off for his bond.
2: Yeah. You know, the third act in general, I thought worked really well um, for, it was a longer movie, but it didn't like we talked about on Monday. It didn't feel that long and um I, I thought the ending was good for me i haven't had time this week to go back and and watch but I, it makes me want to watch uh prior prior to this one i would have said without a doubt casino royale was my favorite of his films yeah skyfall not too far behind but casino royale has always been the one this was the first one where i i feel like i need to watch casino royale and think about it
1: yeah, I, for me, it's Casino Royale, Skyfall, I think right now. So I've seen it twice. Now, I've seen all of these. I mean, I'm not even joking when I say dozens of times, including, including Quantum of Solace, which, again, I've, I've appreciated the more and more I've watched it. It's not my favorite, um, but I do like it. I know a lot of people don't like Spectre, which I don't get. Like, I there's some issues with the story there, but I thought the action in it was good. I like the story overall, so I don't really have any issues with it. But that's third... For me, I, I think No Time to Die is right there with Skyfall for me. And and I think a lot of it is just the... I love the way they tie so many things, again, back to all the way back to Casino Royale. They make it one linear storyline where I agree with you. And the Pierce Brosnan ones, it's all separate adventures. And I honestly think, too, you could go back and watch Daniel Craig's. You don't have to have watched Skyfall to enjoy Quantum of Solace or Skyfall or Spectre like even though they're all tied into each other, they're all still very good movies as well in one. It's right up there. I don't know that it could dethrone Casino Royale because I love Casino Royale. I mean, just the, just all, I mean, like I still, you know, when the, the train scene, when Vesper first gets there and, you know, he talks about like how great his ass looks in a suit and then she mentions his lamb and he's like skewered and just like, Oh, just there's so many great lines in that movie. I love it so much. The, I, I this is gonna be really bad to say, but like the, the whole torture scene with Lashif and and the you everybody's gonna know you died scratching my balls. Like that's an iconic line for me. Like I'm just like, dude, like to, for someone to actually say that is just it's epic. But No Time to Die, I think the more and more I watch it, is probably gonna be up there because again, I think it, it's just such a good story, and I'm with you, like. I didn't even realize it was almost three hours long and the movie ends and I, I wanted more. Like I was like, this could have gone for another hour and I'd have been all in. Like there's never once, like I hate to say this cause I love Avengers so much, but there were times in infinity war and Endgame where like, I was kind of like, okay, like where are we going with this? Like we probably don't need, like I never felt that way in this last one with no time to die. Like I was glued from this, the second it started in Norway till the the minute it ended with um i don't remember what her name is uh but with them toasting to bond and kind of you know finally kind of moving on yep all right well i think that's gonna do it you have anything else you want to add i don't want to like cut you off there no
2: no it was it was definitely one that delivered we had to wait a really long time delayed 18 months but
1: yeah it was it was was well worth it yeah, all right, so that will do it for us today. I will, um, I don't know why I said I will. We will be back on Friday. Matt, myself, and I and hope Dennis. you'll be back.
2: Otherwise, i are going to have be. a hard time. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, uh, we will all be here on Friday to, again, recap the Thursday night football game between the Buccaneers and the Eagles, and we will preview the entire Week 6 NFL slate. Enjoy the game Thursday, guys. We'll talk to you guys again on Friday.
0: Prepare for glory! Oh, no! I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump the leave. Die. Leave. Oh, they tackle at the corner. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can.